Impulse control disorders have become increasingly reported in Parkinson's disease patients. Are they truly more common, or are we just more aware? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Matthew Menza. Dr. Menza is Professor of Psychiatry and Neurology and the Interim Chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Jersey. Dr. Menza has a special interest in Parkinson's disease and its psychiatric comorbidities. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Menza. Thank you, Liz. I'm glad to be here. Many of us may have forgotten or never known about impulse control disorders. Could you give us a quick review of that, please? Sure. You know, I'm one of those people who, uh, until a few years ago, really didn't have a very good idea of what this was all about. In general, when we're talking about impulse control disorders, we're talking about things that involve impulses that we're not able to resist very well and that clearly aren't good for us. For instance, really having a very bad gambling problem, spending way too much money, hypersexuality, binge eating, that kind of thing that really get us into trouble. Isn't that just bad behavior? Well, some would see it that way, although actually, in many ways, our work in Parkinson's disease has probably pointed us at the fact that it's more than just bad behavior, that there clearly are neurochemical influences on these kinds of behaviors that may sometimes be relatively out of our control. So what is the etiology? Well, if I can step back a bit, it's such an interesting story in Parkinson's disease. It turns out that The vast majority of these people who go on to develop Parkinson's disease early in their life have very low rates of a whole variety of these impulses or impulse problems. If you look at the literature on the pre-morbid status of people who subsequently develop Parkinson's disease, they have very, very low rates of smoking, very low rates of alcoholism. They tend to be these kind of industrious, punctual, inflexible, cautious careful people. They're overrepresented in professions like engineers that tend to not be real super risk takers. So against this background of having these kinds of personalities, over the past decade as we've had a number of new treatments in Parkinson's disease that directly affect the postsynaptic dopamine receptor, these are called direct dopamine agonists like Requip and Mirapex. We started getting a lot of reports of people who were developing these very, for them, unusual problems like gambling and hypersexuality. And we've seen a number of people with really disastrous outcomes in which they've gone out and gambled away their whole life savings after having lived an entire life of never been gambling at all. Mm. People who have started smoking after having lived their whole life never smoking people who have gotten themselves into legal troubles because of some sexual indiscretions after leading a completely normal sexual life. So we began to get the sense that these drugs may actually be involved in the production of these problems. The most recent studies we have suggest that about 10 to 15% of people with Parkinson's disease who get started on these drugs develop some degree of these disorders. Now, sometimes they might just pick up a new interest in gambling, but it's under control. But some of them, a smaller percentage, really, it gets very much out of control. 10 to 15%? Yeah, it's a really, really high percent. That's percent. Incredible. And again, the interesting thing about this is this is in a population who has had the opposite kind of personality mm-hmm. that you would expect for this. They just have not been like this before. So it's all about dopamine. 
Well, you know, it's not a very well-researched area, but it's a little difficult to avoid the impression that it might just be all about dopamine. (laughs) Dopamine is the primary chemical involved in pleasure and reward in the brain. It's thought to underlie all of our addictive behaviors, including gambling and alcoholism and smoking. And it really has looked to us like there's a connection between the low levels of dopamine that you see in Parkinson's disease and producing this personality of being very low in these behaviors and then the opposite, which is if you really beat on these dopamine receptors, you can produce this pattern of really out-of-control impulses. I'm thinking just about all the people possibly locked up in prison. Should we be looking at their dopamine levels in some respect and maybe treating them you know, in a biological sort of way? I guess you could wonder about that. I I don't think that we right now have any ability to really measure these kinds of levels in in the areas in the brain that are important. You know, the brain has many different dopaminergic systems in it, and the one that seems to be largely involved in this is in the nucleus accumbens, and that's an area that you can't really inventory the Mm -hmm. level of the dopamine. The technology is just not there for us to make it clinically useful, huh? Yeah, you know, I guess the final production of these kinds of behaviors is really a, a mixture of both the social context that you live in. You know, these people that we're seeing, these Parkinson's patients, don't get addicted to crack cocaine mm-hmm. because they just are not in a world in which that's part of their world. Mm-hmm. So they end up accessing what's available to them, which is gambling and Bingo pornography. Bingo and keno, huh? and That's exactly <laughs> right. But you can lose a lot of money playing, playing right. those things. Right. And, you know, one of the really interesting things about this is the impact that these things have on the families. Mm. You imagine this, mm. you know, really oh, okay. stable school teacher who has lived a perfectly salt-of-the-earth life and then all of a sudden becomes very interested in Internet pornography. Mm. And the impact that this has on somebody's life is just amazing. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Matthew Menza. We are discussing the role of dopamine in impulse control disorders and Parkinson's disease. Are there any risk factors, Matthew, among Parkinson's patients? Do we know who's most likely to eventually develop an impulse control problem? Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about this is there aren't a lot of risk factors. This is something that apparently can happen to just about anyone. Now, it obviously doesn't happen to everyone, so there must be some risk factors, but in general, it seems to be an equal opportunity employer. There are a few things that you occasionally will see, and that is if somebody has had a, a history of gambling or alcoholism, then they clearly are somebody at greater risk. We don't see a lot of that in pre-morbidly in Parkinson's disease, but occasionally we will. And lastly, as people begin to have memory problems later on in life, that's clearly a risk factor for the development Mm. of these things. What treatment strategies are used? Well, the first part of treatment is recognizing the problem. And as I just mentioned, most patients are extremely embarrassed about this. Even as a psychiatrist, when I'm asking them these questions, I often won't hear about them for a while. So the very first question to ask somebody is, have you had any real changes in your personality? It is often true that people with Parkinson's disease bring their spouses to the appointments, so that's a good question to ask the spouse also. 
And again, I ask the question generally, has there been a change in your personality? But I will, for people who are on either Meripex or Requip, I will specifically ask them whether or not there's been any change in their sexual interests, whether they've had any problem with gambling. So I think the first question really is to ask. Fortunately, these behaviors really do seem to be directly driven by these medications. And so very clearly, the first thing one does is begin to taper them off of the drug. Now, the downside to that, of course, is these drugs are also quite good for controlling their movement disorders. So if you or their neurologist begins to taper these drugs, their Parkinson's movements may get worse, and they may have to be managed with one of the standard older drugs like Cinnamon, which doesn't seem to cause nearly as much of these problems as the newer drugs do. So the first treatment is really just to take them off the drug that's causing the problem. We also often make sure that people get some kind of a therapist or a counseling just at least to monitor the behaviors and often to deal with what are the emotional repercussions of what they've done. I mean, if somebody has just gambled away three or $400,000, there are going to be a lot of both personal and family repercussions of that. Lastly, in some cases, we may need to add an atypical antipsychotic. The one drug that really does seem to help people with Parkinson's disease is Seroquel or Quetiapin. Most of the other antipsychotics are not well tolerated by people with Parkinson's disease, so we usually stick with Quetiapin. So with these treatment strategies, aren't you running the risk of possibly making their Parkinson's worse? You're certainly running the risk of making their symptoms worse. I think if you talk to any of them, they tell you that they would much rather have some extra tremor or some extra stiffness rather than Mm -hmm. these kinds Mm -hmm. of behaviors because they are completely devastating for them and for their families also. And again, in most situations, the movements can be managed with a higher dose of Cinemat, which generally will not cause these kinds of impulse control disorders. And lastly, if you need to, you can sometimes treat the impulse control disorder without lowering the drug too much by using something like quetiapine or Seroquel. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, we will also use Clozaril, which is yep. another older wow. atypical antipsychotic, which has a lot of significant side effects, so it's not anybody's first choice, but it is well tolerated by people with Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease, and we will use it. If Impulse control disorders are present in nearly 15% of people on these meds. Should we make it part of our informed consent process to warn people about this in advance of starting a dopamine agonist? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that that is true. These behaviors are devastating enough that we really do want to tell people that this is a potential possibility. The drugs are usually tapered up very slowly, so there will be a time somewhere in the course of that treatment in which they'll start having some of these urges. And if they're aware that it's related to the drug, they'll be able to call you up or just stop the drug. So I think that's really important. One of the interesting twists to this story is it turns out one of the new treatments for restless legs Mm -hmm. is also Requip. That's been approved by the FDA, and Requip is one of these direct dopamine agonists. I don't think we have a good handle yet on how frequently these problems are happening in people with restless legs and not Parkinson's disease, but at least the early information looks like, well, it may not be as common. It certainly is happening in people with restless legs. So, And I would also point out that every once in a while you'll see a psychiatrist using Requip or Mirapex as an antidepressant augmentation treatment. And I think we ought to be very careful about these problems because they really and truly can be devastating. I have one quick story about a man that came to me 
after this had already happened, who again had led one of these you know perfectly respectable lives as an engineer, and got put with Parkinson's disease, got put on one of these drugs, and exposed himself on a street corner oh. and ended up in jail as a sexual predator. Hmm. So it was, I mean, completely has ruined his life. So we really do, given the consequences, need to warn people that this can happen. Uh, You know, as with any bad complication of a drug, we also have to temper the fact that this doesn't happen to everybody. There are warning signs. The drugs also are very effective in treating Parkinson's disease. So I think, you know, we have to give a balanced view. But we certainly should let people and their families know what to be looking for so we can intervene early. Well, thank you so much for teaching us about it today. Okay. It's my pleasure. We've been speaking with Dr. Matthew Menza, Professor of Psychiatry and Neurology at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Jersey. And we've been talking about impulse control disorders in Parkinson's patients. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.